episode 1125, What the Facts, and there's going to be a little colon there, What the Facts, The End of Evidence, or How to Build a Cathedral. I told you it was a tortured title. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben Bono. We're back. We're back. And it's a follow-up to an episode. Was the first What the Facts last year? I think so. I think we've done a couple of What the Facts. Yeah, let me do some research on that while you open this episode up. So, well, hold off on your research for one second, because I I actually have a question for you to begin this episode. All right. So this is going to be like, this is almost like a real show, because I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to answer at the end of the episode. What do you mean a real show? (laughs) Right. So, uh... (laughs) My question is this. Wait, what do you mean a real show? Well, like a professionally produced show or something, like where they're they're planning out not just what they're going to talk about, but like little hooks and things to keep you coming back. You don't think we have enough hooks? I, <laughs> I think most of the time it's me yelling about things, but it's great. So here's my question for you, though. If you were going to build a cathedral, I don't mean like some modern crap. I, <laughs> I should probably shouldn't say that, but I, I mean like a... A giant European medieval Gothic cathedral. You know, one of those things you just look at and you're stunned. If you, if I said you're going to, it's your job to build a cathedral, where do you start? Like what city? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Building permits. So you're you saying, know, where do I get the materials or what are you asking? Where do you start? What do you do first? Yeah. Do you worry about materials? Uh, do you no, mean- actually you do need the. Fine land. Before, yeah, yeah, am I on the right track for what you want me to answer? Yeah, it's fine. There's fine. not. A, there's not a. Well, yeah. there is actually many wrong if answers. You told me you have to build a cathedral. First thing I do, I would do find a place. Where is it going to be built? Yeah, it's All a right. sensible answer. Once you find the place, then you decide what is this going to be built out of? Classic cathedral material, right? All right, <laughs> which where, <laughs> where can we get that? Yeah. So you've got like some mortar, some bricks. You've got to study architecture. You've got to... I just hire somebody. Yeah. You, 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 uh, lots wait, do of I math. have to build it myself? you got to build it. Oh, I don't get to bring in an well, architect? I mean, maybe eventually. It's a okay. rhetorical question. Okay. So, yeah, there's lots of math involved. Tons of areas. You know, building permits that you got to do. Oh. Satisfy OSHA, whatever yeah. the European equivalent. So, yeah. How wait. do you build a cathedral? Okay. Lots of areas to start. And they're all wrong. <laughs> and I'm going to give you at the end of this episode... Uh, what the correct answer is to how to build a cathedral, and that's what we here in the biz call a hook. It's a hook because it's gonna it's gonna keep you listening to the end. Because now you want to know how do you build a cathedral? What do you start with? And I'm gonna tell you how to do that at the end of this episode. Well, Ben, before you get there, 2022. I thought uh, it was 2023, but it's two years ago now. Episode 1059. What the facts? Uh, from July 2022, and then from September 2022, episode 1064. What the facts? Two more facts. <laughs> that's classic. Yeah, that's a good, good title. <laughs> so, so yeah, this title's a little more tortured. Well, I'll tell you where this came from. Um, and, and it, it's there's a, a few sources of this, and one of them is the rhetorical question that I just asked, which, believe it or not, is something I, I found myself contemplating recently. And so that's why we I turned it into a nice little hook to keep you listening to the end. Please don't just fast forward to the end. That would be, that'd be cheating. Uh, but, it, but it also came from 
a, a couple of other things I've just been thinking about. And one of them actually came from uh, as I was reflecting on our recent Flat Earth episode with Ronald. Now, I'm not going to rebut anything in there. So this is not a rebuttal, but I'm going to refer to some things in that episode because both in preparation for that episode and afterwards, I I was having a strange reaction to something. Um, and it took me a little while to put my finger exactly on what it was and why. And I think I'll try and articulate it here. So if you're going to have somebody on who is a flat earther, as, as we did, which is really quite a coup. I mean, how many genuine flat earthers? Like, we're, we're so brave. <laughs> we, 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 we really nailed that one. Uh, but you're going to have somebody on who has a belief like that uh, outside the mainstream. Eventually, you're going to start asking, like, well, where's the proof for this? And then the guest is going to provide some proof. And we we had some of that and, and everything in there. And I'm sure, as I was thinking about the episode afterwards, that there was probably some people who were frustrated that we, and maybe I in particular, uh, because I think people recognize like, you know, I'm probably the more argumentative one on things like that, uh, wasn't sitting there rebutting things point by point by point. Like, ah, you know, yeah, no, th- that evidence is wrong because of blah, 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 blah. And I realized as I was thinking about my reaction, both in terms of preparing for the episode and where I wanted to have the conversation go and where I think it mostly went. Uh, during the episode, what I found myself wanting to respond to and discuss and talk about, and after the episode in terms of contemplating uh, what I felt was successful and what wasn't, that evidence is really dumb. <laughs> like, evidence is awful. Not just for flat earthers, but Not in just general. for flat earthers. This is a general wholesale remark, and I'll give some non-flat earth examples. But I bring up the flat earth one because this is where it crystallized for me that evidence and arguments around evidence are among the dumbest things we do, and almost always a complete and total waste of time. Okay, um, it is the least interesting part of that conversation both just in general but then also you know in the episode this is all you know, not saying anything against ronald k it, it was very brave to to share his beliefs and some of the evidence he sees and you have to like get into some of that a little bit but i'll be honest like when i think about the parts of that conversation that engaged me and were interesting to me it was everything but when we were talking about specific evidence like i just don't care about it and i and so i found myself wondering like why is that what is it about that and you know it would be easy to say well it's because you're afraid of the truth and no doubt ronald's sitting there rubbing his hands together listening to this thinking i got you but it's really not like if i want to find rebuttals i could like you could find rebuttals to every point that was brought up and in fairness to Ronald, I'm sure he could find rebuttals to those rebuttals, at which point we can find rebuttals to the rebuttals to the rebuttals and so on and so forth uh, ad infinitum. But I found myself thinking, like, why is that so uninteresting to me? And not just in that conversation, but in just about every other context, I find myself less and less compelled by evidence as things go along. Like, well, what's going on there? So in a, in a flash of inspiration, I just found myself um, 
jotting down uh, a number of different things that I think are true. And then along the way, I, I came uh, across a couple of other interesting examples, as well as uh, some stuff I was reading in our old friend Ian McGilchrist's book, The the Matter with Things, which I'm still slowly working through. It's, such a, it's a huge book. It's a huge book. So I'm, I'm very slowly working my way through it. Uh, but it just so happened that he wound up at the section I was reading, hitting on some of these same ideas. And I just kind of always love that when that happens, when things start to converge. So evidence is stupid, right? And you probably shouldn't believe it. <laughs> you should probably uh, just throw it all out. So I, maybe a good place to start with this would be to ask you, why do you believe the things you do? Oh, no, you're putting me on the spot? Yeah. Why do you're the I, one here who I could yes, ask. Everybody at home can play along, but but think of a belief that you have, and it can be a a serious one. You know, your religious convictions or political belief, but please not that because politics is also stupid and fake and dumb. Um, and by the way, I just uh, you know I've talked about my stance on voting. Can I just give you a, a pithy little quip I thought up? Yeah. Uh, you know, people talk about like you you have to vote. It's very bad not to vote, and. I realized, you know what happens if you don't vote? Same thing that happens if you do. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, so well, a belief that you have. Yeah. It can be big. It can be why you think Back to the Future is the greatest movie in the world. It, mm-hmm. Why do you believe the thing that you do? Yeah. So uh, can I say in general yeah. general statements? Sometimes you believe something because at some point you started believing it and you just always believed it. And maybe at a young age, you're like, this is true and you never question it and you move on. Yep. Some things like maybe if it changes over time, maybe you've heard new information or experienced new things that made you realize now I think this is true. And then you go on from there. And sometimes like with the back to the future example, I think my, a lot of my film, a lot of my beliefs about quality of film come from feelings and my, just how I'm experiencing it, and I don't necessarily care what other people are experiencing with it. So, yeah, yeah I think it's it can be a combination of feelings, experiences, and I guess I would say evidence, but maybe that falls under, like, I've learned this and now I believe this. I, yeah, so yeah, but exactly. I guess I, now that I'm trying to put it into categories, it does sound like it's all pretty subjective. Now, a lot of your beliefs do have evidence for them, right? Like, for example... Uh, I believe that if I pick up this water bottle and let it down, it's going to drop. And and that probably came through the mic, and that that's effective for, for the episode. Uh, it dropped. And it's like, there's evidence for why that happens. I don't want to get into the flat earth thing, but like for the rest of us, sorry, Ronald, cover your ears. Like it has to do, you know, the evidence has to do with the centrifugal forces of the earth and the spin and all of that. And like we could get into that, but that's not why I believe it. I believe it because it happens. You know, every single time. In other words, uh, when you think about the things that you believe, there's evidence for many of them, maybe all of them, and much of that evidence is no doubt true. But the evidence rarely has to do with why you believe something. I'll give you a really good example. This is one of the ones that just happened to come up as I was contemplating this. Uh, The perpetual virginity of Mary. And we just did this rosary episode over on the the Patreon feed, um, which I'd really recommend to people. I thought it was really good. Yes, you can find it at patreon.com forward slash the sci-fi Christian. So we didn't really touch on this much, but one of the controversial Marian beliefs is the perpetual virginity of Mary. The idea that Mary spent her entire life uh, a virgin. 
and Catholics believe this. I think Orthodox believe this, and, and you know. But as soon as Protestants hear this, um, they go, "Aha!" But what about that verse in the Bible that talks about Jesus's brothers? How, what do you do with that? And I would say you're interpreting that verse incorrectly. Well, why do you say that? Well, my evidence for that is that um, that the original word for that's being in Greek that's being translated as brothers can also mean relations, like cousins and, and larger family. It doesn't literally have to mean brothers, like born of the same mother type of thing. It's broader than that. Okay, what I just did is I presented to you a piece of evidence that if you believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary is very compelling and convincing. And if you don't, did nothing to move the needle. Like maybe it said, okay, at least the Catholics have a reasonable explanation for their dumb belief, and then you, you move on. But what did the evidence not do? It didn't convince you of anything. It didn't change anyone's belief. It didn't, you know, it, it accomplished nothing. I'm glad it's there. I happen to believe that it's true. It's convincing to me, but this is the key point. It's convincing to me because I already believe what I'm claiming it's, it proves. Okay? So let's talk about evidence a little bit with, with that in mind. Yeah, I'd be interested to learn how do we get the core beliefs in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. So... Beliefs aren't formed by evidence. And and I'm just going to go through some of the random things that I, I jotted down in this flash of inspiration. Um, so that would be problem one. Beliefs are not formed by evidence. Number Reason number two for why you should reject evidence. Technical evidence is inaccessible to virtually everybody. Okay? This is like to go back to the Flat Earth episode. A, a lot of those arguments start to get into math and physics and things. And when I hear uh, the math and physics being used for a conclusion that uh, I don't agree with, I call it pseudoscience. And when I, I hear them be used for something I do agree with, I drop the pseudo and just call it science. Yeah. And everybody does this. And it's stupid. I was thinking about, like, how do I make this a, a concrete example? So um, if, you know, my, my background uh, in terms of my career, I'm in, in management now, but I was a, a database guy. And, like, if if you were running a database query and you asked me, you know, how do I make this go faster? And I told you, you'd say, now I know how to make it go faster. But really, all you've done is accept my authority on it. I might know. Because I have the technical background to know you do X, Y, and Z, and, and you know your program's going to run faster, your database query's going to run faster. But you don't. So you don't know. Like, you just know that I, I say it does. Now, imagine that there's a second database guy who comes along and says, what nonsense? That's not what you do. You do X, Y, and Z, not ABC. Where does that leave you? I'll tell you exactly where it leaves you. Who do you trust more? And, and what you've just done is formed a belief on something that looks like evidence, but isn't, you know, you might still side with me because we're friends and we have a background, but I might be a complete idiot. I might not know what I'm talking about. I might be wrong and you have no way of evaluating that. And so technical evidence exists in this inaccessible plane 
for most of us. And we're sitting there evaluating it as though we actually understand what we're talking about. Like, and, and it's amazing what people do with this because we've developed this whole bureaucracy and this whole culture around how do we as lay people, uh, interact with technical evidence. And we do things like looking at studies. And if those studies are peer reviewed, it means they're good. But this in itself is just another form of belief, because if you've ever looked into the peer review process, it's utter nonsense. Like the idea that that peer approval is some type of bulletproofing of evidence is not. And people have gone through and actually shown that you can get complete garbage through the peer review process. I, I play a little game sometimes uh, on the rare occasions where I'm reading the news or reading an article, which I try and avoid. Um, the first game is that if an article headline asks a question, do you know what you can always assume the answer to be? Oh, you know, I heard this before. I I think the answer is yes. It, it, the opposite. <laughs> okay. So like if I'm writing an article and it said, did Matt Anderson grow a third arm today? I can accurately write an article. And you can't sue me for slander because the answer is no. So I ask a question, you know, more seriously, like, uh, did Joe Biden just get you know, uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia by his doctor? You hear that headline, you think, oh, my gosh, Joe Biden has schizophrenia. But then, like, you read the article and the answer is clearly no. I'm just making that up, of course. But it's something like that. Like you see how you use a question and a headline to to force a conclusion in you. Um, so that's one game I like to play. The other game I like to play with articles is uh, anytime you see a, a clause or a sentence that begins with, according to experts or experts say, you can assume that whatever follows it is wrong. <laughs> Just Why? Why do you say that? Because uh, it's a way to make it sound like you understand what you're talking about and that what you're talking about has evidential and authoritative backup when it may just be nonsense. Because who says the experts are right and why should you believe them? You have no way of evaluating that. What you can evaluate is uh, rhetorical journalistic tactics that are meant to manipulate you, and that's one of them. So the experts may be good, they may be bad, they may be right, they may be wrong. But what I do know is that people who employ that phrase are trying to lie to me and get to me to believe things that maybe I don't want to believe. So I just assume it's a lie. I think that's a good point. So technical evidence has no appeal to me whatsoever. And it shouldn't appeal to you either. Sorry, Ronald. I know like a lot of the fun flat earth discourse, maybe it's fun. Like if it's fun, go for it. It's like voting. Yeah, voting's kind of fun, but let's not pretend like it actually accomplishes anything because it does not. Okay, number three. Evidence has a problem of that it zeroes in on something and ignores the whole. It zeroes in on one point and harps on that and tries to build conclusions off of that point. But the problem with this is that especially technical evidence or, or evidence around something complex, it doesn't have to be technical, uh, but evidence around any large, like put it in terms of a theological belief system, when you just harp on the one point, which is what evidence does, uh, it ignores a couple of things. It ignores that the belief is a whole, not a series of individual points. More on that uh, from our friend Ian McGilchrist in, in just a minute. Um, but it, it also ignores the fact that any sufficiently complex system, whether it's a 
physical system, uh, a bit of science, a belief system, uh, anything, anything you can think of is inevitably going to be full of anomalies, right? So let's just, uh, let's use cosmology in this. It doesn't matter who's right. If the earth is flat, if the earth is round, if we're, you know, doesn't matter what, what cosmological system you're in. One way or another, you're dealing with a system that includes the entire world, which is very complex. So I guarantee you that there are anomalies or at least apparent anomalies in that system. And so when you go through with evidence and you focus in on different pieces and you find the anomalies and you present evidence that, whoa, this is really weird because if the earth really is flat, round, square, I'd like the square earth theory, by the way, that if anybody wants to come out and defend that, like, I won't even argue with you. I'll just be a believer like that. You've, you've got my allegiance. Uh, doesn't matter. You haven't proven anything. All you've proven is that, yeah, complex systems are hard to evaluate and they're full of anomalies when you dig into them. So evidence is like has this laser focus, this blind man with the elephant, you know, the whole parable, the blind man with the elephant that the every the three blind men are all feeling the elephant, which just sounds weird to say, but they're all feeling different parts. They come to different conclusions about what it is. The, the evidence has that problem. Evidence puts blinders on you and forces you to look at the pieces, not the whole, and therefore you miss the whole picture. Okay, number four. I forgot what number I was on. Evidence is only convincing to the convinced. This kind of dovetails with what I was saying about the perpetual uh, virginity of the, the Virgin Mary. In other words, if you don't believe the conclusion, Evidence isn't going to get you there. If you do believe the conclusion, it's going to be really convincing to you. And we've probably all had this phenomenon, like you're arguing with somebody about, I don't know, um, it can be your belief in God or, or, or politics or why Matt Anderson should stop watching superhero movies or whatever. Like you come up with that point that you're just convinced is the dagger. Like this is it. You know, this is the end of the conversation and you deliver that point and the other person's like, eh, no, like just to you, what felt like an overwhelming argument can't be answered was just discarded, like basically just shrugged off. We've all had this experience. Why? Because it didn't like the other person isn't convinced. They don't believe your conclusion, so why would they believe any evidence in it? Uh, disproven evidence, uh, and the corollary is true too. Disproven evidence is just always discarded. You know, you have something you believe that's disproven, like uh, you know somebody disproves something about. Uh, I have a really good piece of evidence for the round Earth, and and uh, somebody disproves it. It's like I just leave that behind and move on with my life. You know, it doesn't done anything to my belief, and so evidence just dumb um evidence is endlessly counterable and this is kind of what i was saying earlier that uh you know you can find rebuttals to my rebuttals to your rebuttals to my rebuttals and so on and so forth and so on and so forth it's just this exhausting thing and and uh, i'm starting to get repetitive here but uh, i'll get to ian mcgillchrist in a second but evidence ignores then the why of belief and this is maybe the big one like evidence makes an assumption. This would be a nice segue into Ian. Uh, evidence makes the assumption that you believe as a result of 
a carefully constructed series of steps or proofs or something, but you don't. You believe because you have bought into a narrative. We are narrative-based creatures, not evidence-based creatures. And Ian McGilchrist talks about this in The Matter of Things. So I know people who are longtime listeners have heard the recap a hundred times, but i got to give it again, so just bear with me for 30 seconds here. So Ian McGilchrist uh, has this brilliant book, The Matter of Things. It's just giant. It took him like 12 years to write. Um, and I'm halfway through it and like two years into it. So we've been reading this for a while. Uh, and part of what he's done is he's a researcher into the brain and how the left and right hemisphere impact our views on reality. And so you're, the right hemisphere uh, is able to incorporate a lot of different things. And the left hemisphere is very linear and everything. The classic example that I always pull out when I'm describing this book to people is he has an image of a, a large H, the letter H, made up of tiny little twos. Okay, so you can picture that in your head, an H that instead of just being drawn straight is made up of tiny little twos. And this image has been shown to people with either right hemisphere or left hemisphere damage. You know, so one part of their brain isn't working correctly. Uh, the people with the uh, left hemisphere damage, so the right hemisphere is what's working without the aid of the left, will be able to reproduce that image as an H. In other words, they see the whole, but they don't draw it with little twos. They lose the details. The left hemisphere, so when the right hemisphere is damaged, is the opposite. They draw a bunch of little twos, but they're scattered all over the place. So Ian McGilchrist's argument is that we need both sides of viewing reality, but that ultimately one of them should be leading the charge. And the one that should be leading the charge is the right hemisphere that gives us the big picture followed by the details. When we start with the details, we construct a picture that doesn't have anything to do with the actual larger reality. Okay, so what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, well quite a bit. So he talks about this idea of a term that I think we've heard, but maybe is hard to define for a lot of people, and it's gestalt. It's a great German word. And uh, I'll, I'll read you just the definition here as it comes up on, on the Kindle dictionary. It says, an organized whole that is perceived as more than the sum of its parts. Correct. Right? So gestalt is a really important concept for what we're talking about. And he's talking about how, how does the left hemisphere versus the right hemisphere reach conclusions? And he says, the left hemisphere has this idea of linearity, you know, moving in a linear fashion. I start with point A, point A leads to conclusion B, conclusion B leads to C, to D, to E, to F, to so forth. And so we build up this systematized uh, collection of knowledge, and that gives us reality. The right hemisphere does the opposite. It perceives the whole and then sees the parts as a result. And wouldn't you know it that one of these actually winds up being a much more effective approach to capturing reality than the other? And he uses the examples that with many of the great scientists, people that in our conception would be thinking in that very careful linear perspective, actually do the opposite. He talks about Einstein receiving, you know, he gets the idea and then works his way backwards through the evidence for things. Pascal's uh, one of the great mathematicians. His notebooks are full of drawings. They're not full of careful reasoning. And he has example after example after example of this, whereas uh, people who take this other approach are often 
uh, closer to schizophrenics and are, are uh, deeply damaged individuals and come up with views of the world that simply don't work. So what does this have to do with evidence? Well, evidence is... Uh, the reason we have evidence, the reason evidence is useful is because you start with the gestalt and work your way back to understand what are the pieces of it. But when we start arguing from evidence, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to start with the pieces and work our way up to the whole. And that's really dumb. It's like trying to reconstruct that H when all you can see are the little twos. Yeah, the twos are there. You need both. But you need to understand the big picture. You need to understand the belief. You need to understand the whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. And what's striking to me, and I know I'm, I'm picking on this flat earth conversation. I, I certainly don't mean to. It's just that it's, it's top of mind. But that, like, I look out in society and I look at the way we debate and we argue and we think about proofs and we think about uh things and like our discussion around belief in the modernist world centers on evidence and it's so dumb it's so dumb like we can work our way back to evidence but what we need to realize is that we're telling stories to each other so let me tell you what i found most compelling in that flat earth episode what i found most compelling was not the evidence that Ronald presented or that other people could present, or even the evidence that would go in the other direction to refute it. Fake and dumb is what I'd say to all that evidence. Hate it all. Get rid of it. What I found really compelling was the narrative. The narrative of his thought process of how he reached there. Because I'm sure people, and Ronald, you can cover your ears for a second, look at that belief and they're like, this is really dumb. How can you arrive at that? And I say, no, because this is a smart man who in my opinion, has arrived at a kind of a dumb belief. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to insult him, but like a belief I would say is just a, a far field, right? It's, it's off base. But I'm so compelled by the way an, a, a, a true and compelling narrative can land you in a belief like that. Like that, to me, that's fascinating. To me, that, that's, there's something just really brilliant about that. And, and it's something I want to dig into more. Like I have no desire to, to interact with the evidence, but I'm really interested in how uh, the way that a true narrative can result in what I would consider to be a false belief. Like, that's fascinating to me. That's really powerful. And when you start to interact with people this way, like you can come up with people who you profoundly disagree with on issues. And you and, and I'm not talking about flat earth stuff. I'm talking about, you know, moral issues, your faith, your whatever, things that matter. And you start talking to them and you just start debating evidence. You're probably both going to just get on each other's nerves. And if you don't get on each other's nerves, you're going to get on everybody else's nerves really fast. And neither of you are going to convince the other. But if you start sharing that story with each other, you find something really compelling. You find the, the gestalt that that person has, has glommed onto, and that's something you can maybe speak to. That's something you can maybe pray for. Like, that's an, a powerful, powerful idea. It's a completely 180 view of viewing the world. So when I say evidence is fake and dumb, like, am I overstating my case? Yes, and intentionally so. We need it. I'm glad it's there. But it's not the main thing. And that brings us back to the cathedral. How do you build a cathedral? Because there's so many different parts of the cathedral. 
There's the bricks. There's the architecture. There's the math. There's the building permits. There's the workers. There's the, you know, what, what narratives are we going to depict on the stained glass? And all those are like evidence, right? They all need to be there eventually, or you're not going to have a cathedral that stands up. But how do you build a cathedral? You start by contemplating the glory of God, and you work your way backwards. That's how you build a cathedral. I wish I got my question right. <laughs> it was a trick question. <laughs> Much like evidence, it was a trick. Well, listeners, a lot to process there. Feel free to write us at feedback at the or comment wherever you're seeing this post. And maybe we can do some follow-up because I think there's a lot to unpack there. But for now, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Bendy Bono. And we are the Sci-Fi Christians. Signing off. Right, goodbye. Goodbye.